Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 95 of the Essendon People podcast, our round 18 review of the game against Geelong and our round 19 preview of the game against the Western Bulldogs. So, Brendan, I think just off air, you said lost for words. I don't have any words. Uh, It's going to be a difficult podcast to review a a game in which we were absolutely smashed. Yes, yes. And from the the first bounce, really, there, um, yeah, Disappointing night all around. Went in with, wouldn't say I had high hopes, but I certainly wasn't expecting what uh, we dished up. Yeah, I think um, if we, as you said, it was always going to be a tough assignment going down there. But had we gone down there and lost by three or four goals, I think you would have held some hope that we can compete with the teams around us, and 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 we've arguably, you know, some of the better teams. So. Uh, that was disappointing, I, I guess, to, to be uncompetitive um, by the looks of it. And I, I must apologise in advance because I actually didn't view any of this game and that's going to make it pretty difficult to to contribute to the podcast. Um, I was in Sovereign Hill, which I think most people will know um, Sovereign Hill, sort of gold mining town uh, in Victoria, and um, most people probably know. For those who don't, yeah, it's sort of bit of a theme park kind of set up. It takes you back in time and it's sort of set sort of mid to late 1800s, which ironically is probably the last time we beat Geelong, I reckon. So I, I sort of went back in time and just uh, believed that, that I watched um, the same olds go around and beat Geelong, but that's not what happened down at GMHBA. It certainly feels like it was that long ago we, uh, we beat the Cats. But, uh, yeah. All right, let's get into it. So it was uh, Geelong 18 14, 122 to Essendon 7 3 45. So we lost by 77 points or 13 goals, depending on how you want to look at it. And uh, that's a pretty heavy loss. Probably that, I think that's certainly our worst of the year. And um, I, I didn't really actually know this until Brad Scott raised in his presser, but the only side to score 100 points against us this year on both occasions there is Geelong uh, as the only team to have done it. And they did it both times they played us and both games were very similar um, by the looks of it. This one actually probably worse than when we played them earlier in the year. So blown away in that first quarter, 7-5-47 to just the one behind, 12 scoring shots to one. Luckily, they converted at only 58%. They had a 46-point lead at quarter time. It was it was all over within the first five or six minutes uh, from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think they didn't quite get the scoreboard pressure as freely as it, as it came early, but they certainly had um, – they certainly was looking ominous, had control of the ball, like they got repeat entries going into their forward line. And then whenever we got the ball going our way, they got repeat intercepts and stops. And it was – yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a great look. And – by the time that uh, that final that final of the siren went for their first quarter, I think most of the supporters were like, "Geez, that's felt like a whole game that quarter, like heads in your hands the whole time." And then you think, "Oh, we've got three more quarters of this. This is going to be one of those all-time crushing losses." And it was because of the expectation we had coming in. Like I said, didn't have high hopes, but 
certainly wasn't expecting a 46-point belting. It wasn't like round one where you say we're going, we've got a number of injuries. Hawkins just, you know, bullies a guy that's smaller than him and kicks a bag. This was just a systematic approach. They just took us down. They were bigger, stronger, more experienced, and just simply better than what we were. And they just beat us. And you might argue that this actually started the week before because the week before we played Adelaide and we had a blistering first quarter, much like Geelong had against us here. You know, we kicked 48 points or something like that in the first quarter. Um, they managed to get on the end of a few huge turnovers from us. But we had a really good first quarter, really good first half, and the second half was so-so. The last quarter, they almost came back, and we only won by 18 points. We gave up a 44-point lead in the last quarter, and it dwindled down to 18 points. And I remember last week on the pod, we we discussed that briefly and said something to the effect of, you know, you're sort of only as good as your last quarter that you've played, your last game that you've played, your last training session that you've done. Um, and that gives you some sort of momentum. And there's probably no science behind that, but I feel that it is, it generally runs true. I, I think you, you generally sort of back up the week after um, as to how you've played, unless something like this happens where you have a dead set, terrible game. And then, you know, the team that that happens to usually fires up the week after, hopefully that's true for us. But, um, you know, when we played Frio, they got flogged and then they came out to fire against us. But yeah, you can argue that our, poor uh, system as you described there, kind of started the end of the, the week prior and then yeah, that first quarter was a full blowout the second quarter here it, on paper it looks like things evened up a little bit, they kicked 2 5 to our 3 one so we actually won the second quarter by 2 points but it was still 7 scoring shots to 4 it was only that they converted it under 30% that we uh, managed to win the quarter very marginally, but we still trailed by 44 points at half time. So from what I'm seeing on paper there, it probably stats are maybe lying a little bit there. Uh, scoreboard's probably lying a little bit is what I should say. And um, really, we're just lucky that they didn't kick straight in the second quarter. At halftime, it's 9-10-64 from 19 scoring shots. At 19 scoring shots in a half of football, right, and converted at less than 50%. We had three two twenty from five scoring converted at sixty, right? So we always bang on on the podcast mark about conversion, how much it is, and like conversion has saved us. Here we're down by nine goals, and conversion has saved us. That's how bad this game was, <laughs> or certainly this first half was, right? And you could say, you know, maybe we got better. As I look to the third quarter, we've kicked one goal <laughs> for the third quarter, right? Converted at 100%, though. 100%, right? And they kicked the, the 5-1, right? But the damage was done early, and it sapped the energy out of the supporters, certainly, out of the out of the players, most definitely, right? And it just couldn't – we can't build momentum. We often talk about we can never build momentum for ourselves, and when the momentum goes against us, we can never do anything to stop it. Right, and this was a classic case, like it was early in the year, like it was round one last year against the Cats, where they jumped out of the blocks, they crushed our soul early, and we just couldn't come back from. Yeah, and then after half time, there as you said, we just kicked the one goal, and then into the last quarter, we kicked three goals, one nineteen from four scoring shots uh, to Geelong's four goals, three twenty seven from their seven scoring shots. So again, we converted at seventy five percent, which was quite good to their fifty seven percent. They still won the quarter by eight points and ended up winning the game 
by 77 points, as we mentioned earlier. So full domination uh, on the scoreboard. So maybe let's move on from that and go into some full domination on the uh, statistics sheet here. So uh, pretty much they had the better of us in every aspect of the game. The ones here that stand out to me is um, contested possession. They had 156 to our 128. Uncontested possession, 232 to our 199. So they were more desperate on the inside and they were better on the outside. That, that You're just better all over the ground if that's the case. And then efficiency as well. We went at less than 70% disposal efficiency and they went uh, at, at 71%. So even when we did have the ball, it sounds like we didn't use it that well as well. So we, we, we struggled to win the ball. And when we did win it, it sounds like we turned it over. We... It was their pressure and we panicked, right? They pressured us so hard early. We had that perceived pressure threat the entirety of the game. And whenever the guys got the ball in their hands, slapped them on the boot, quickly cleared the area, not actually taking the time to think, where you kicking to? How are you kicking? Are you kicking to your teammates' advantage? Because they were just so rushed. Right, and that's because of the perceived whether in the play, whether they actually were under pressure, which often they were, but in times where they weren't, because they'd done such. And that's the thing I talk about the momentum. Geelong had built that momentum up, and we just couldn't. It was like deer in our headlights, and we just couldn't overcome it. And yes, that's a young side, right? And that's something you know, which only going to get better with time, but. It's been like this for 20 years. <laughs> so, you know, we've had young sides that have gone, gone into medium-age sides, you know, gone into older sides that have come back down to young sides. And you can't, you know, lay the blame at the feet of the current players for past, you know, you know teams and past errors. But it is a trend, like how we often talk about how, you know, we've almost been playing the same game style since Matty Knight's in really great offensive, explosive offence. Right, but a terrible defense, right? And we just get blown away and coast to coast goals and red time goals. Seems no matter the errors, who's there, who's not, those little threads have kind of carry through. And we, as supporters, watching game after game, year after year, can see that. But for whatever reason, we just can't change it. Good, bad and ugly. So good. We didn't get beat by 100 points, which could have easily happened considering the blowout that was that first quarter. It, it, this could have easily been a 120-point-plus loss. It's, it's a, difficult as it is to go down there at the best of times. And, um, yeah, could have been a lot worse. So I guess our first good is that we didn't get done by by 100 points. Uh, what else have you got for us there, Brendan? So the forward line. Uh, all the forwards... Kick the goal. So if you look, look you're thinking, uh, like, the forward line actually, you know, worked quite effectively in Menzi, Langford, Guelphy, Stringer, Wright and Snelling all kicked the goal. So you think you six forwards all kick goal, that's a good spread. We ha- weren't relying on, you know, one player to kick, you know, a bag. The problem is, <laughs> I think one or two other players kicked the goal for the night. <laughs> we just didn't have any consistency. And it wasn't the forwards' fault because the ball barely got down there. Right, it was just um, it's just a dirty night. Then in the ruck here, um, I guess hats off to to Nick Bryan. Sounds like he played pretty well and, and stood up as the number one ruck. He didn't have Phillips, obviously, he didn't have Draper to support him, and hasn't played a lot of games. And even when he has, he's been subbed out and played minimal game time. So he had the fourteen disposals, five marks, kicked a goal, and twenty five hitouts. 
and two tackles. And in terms of the ruck um, battle there between the two clubs there, they had 38 hit-outs to our 35. Uh, we had 35 clearances to their 36. We had 12 centre clearances to their 11 and 23 stoppage clearances to their 25. So it tells me that it was pretty even there um, in the ruck, but Brian maybe even marginally had the um, had the advantage by going forward and kicking a goal. I think Brian held his end up. I think the combination of um, the two Geelong Ruckmans probably had the better of him just because the midfield was so dominant. Look at that stats. Think, oh, the clearances, there's only one difference, pretty even in both, you know, centre clearances and stoppage clearances. But the, when they got the ball, their movement was pure. They, they, they you know, the old... What's the difference between a hit out and a hit out to advantage? Well, these were like there's a clearance and there's a clearance to advantage. And what they did post clearance in terms of moving the ball, right, was pure. Was where ours was stagnated. I talked a lot about the intercepts. We didn't get bang for our back going forward, and they were just they were just lighting it up there. There was a stage there with this six 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 ball just in from the center bounce, boom. Inside 50, boom, inside 50. Defenders didn't have a time to move. You couldn't go forward or back. You couldn't zone off. The ball was just getting in there, pure, and that's because of the lack of the pressure from the mids. Could even be structural. I'm not even going to land saying, you know, blokes didn't try, didn't tackle, or, you know, the, the usual criticisms that people have. It seemed like a structural thing and the better side played better football. Um, the final thing we'll talk about, we often mark criticise the lack of creativity in coaching. There were some changes in the second half when the game was lost. We moved Wiedemann back. Perkins went to half back. Redmond moved into the midfield. Right, there were some changes. They didn't didn't do much, <laughs> but at least it's a positive sign because in the past we've been pretty much a you know a single game plan side. This is what the game plan we play, game style. And that's it. We don't really have anything to kind of change it up. So at least with some of those moves, there was a sign that there was a willingness from the coaching staff to do something a little bit different to maybe affect some change or give exposure to players in different roles. We'll move on to the bads now. Um, the first quarter we sort of spoke about there off the top of the pod and uh, we've written here that it was indicative of the whole game really. So we'll just run through some of the stats that occurred in the in the first quarter there. Time of possession, Geelong 52% to Essendon 31%. They had a lot more of the footy. Contested possession, they were plus 10. Uncontested possession, they were plus 15. Inside 50s, they were plus 15. Uh, efficiency inside 50, they were 60%. Uh, 12 shots, as we mentioned earlier, from the 20 inside 50s to our two shots from five inside 50s. Marks, they had 33 to our 19. Uh, marks inside 50, they had six. We had zero. Uh, contested marks, they took five. We only took the one. Intercepts, they had 27. We only had 19. And turnovers, uh, they only turned it over 19 times. We turned it over 27 times in that first quarter. And of the tackles, uh, 20 players in our side had one tackle or less in the first quarter. And 11 players didn't lay a tackle at all in that first quarter when we were fully under siege by the sounds of it. Yes, and I think that out of all those stats there, the inside 50s, obviously, the marks in terms of controlling the ball, time and possession shows how much more of the ball that, that they had there. But it was really the intercepts. 27 intercepts in a quarter of football. That's almost one a minute uh, that we were turning the ball over. And it, sometimes it was like it was well, kicking to their advantage. 
And we were like, it was just bombing it because we were under pressure straight down the throats of Geelong defenders. Right. So, yeah, it was really disappointing. And then the first goal took to the six minute mark of the second quarter. Right. And it was, it wasn't a, uh, a you know, a burst out of the pack, take a nice lead mark from goal. It was it one of those cheapy ones out the backs that Stringer got on the end of and almost toe poked it through? Right. It wasn't any sort of thing you go, oh, wow, that's to put on the old uh, name a game. I'll go watch the highlight of that. Right. It was it was some some rough stuff. Uh, and then the game as a whole, allowing easy entries and defenders uh, not really being able to do much about that due to the, the the delivery, I guess that they were getting. So inside fifties, we mentioned uh, sixty four for them, twenty eight for us. That's a big uh, disparity, uh, I guess, between the two sides. Score involvements, they had one hundred twenty one. We only managed forty three. And then scoring shots, they they had thirty two shots on goal to our ten. Uh, conversion was the only thing, as we mentioned at the stop, that we were good at, 70% to their 56, um, thank goodness. And then control of possession, they had 107 marks to our 82, and that's been something that we've been quite strong in um, this year in controlling possession and chipping it around and taking marks, and they clearly beat us in that. Uh, contested marks, they took 15, we only took four, and uh, marks inside 50, they took 18, and we only managed five. So, um yeah, you've written down here that, that that they took away our strength and beat us at our own game, and that's what we're, we're used to seeing us chip around, be patient, wait, um, back ourselves in with some skills, and then uh, p- proceed up the ground. But it sounds like we weren't able to do that and that uh, they actually did it to us. Yeah, and we talked about turnovers and intercepts. We actually conceded, Mark, 105 points from turnover, directly from turnover. So we had 82 turnovers for the game and they 105 points. That's, you know, 15, 16 goals, really. And when you think they only scored 122, right? So they've only scored, what's that, 17, so three goals off their own power. It's all been off our mistakes, right? And that shows you the pressure that we were under and our poor use of the ball. And intercepts. I mentioned Geelong defenders just having a field day, right? Stewart, nine. Henry, eight. Zach Guthrie, six. Collar Jasney and Bose, five apiece. Right, they just feasted upon us, and they um, they'd all be if they got paid by uh, you know, per intercept possession, they'd be wanting to play us then every week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then into the tackles, they had sixty tackles for the game. We had fifty three, and that might sound pretty even, but if you haven't got the ball, you need to be tackling, you need to be chasing and tackling, and trying to trying to turn the pressure. So tackles inside fifty, they had ten, we had eight. Then the one percent is fifty two to them, forty six to us. So yeah, even though everything looks pretty pretty uh, close in, in those stats. It's really not what you want to be seeing when you don't have the ball. You need to be tackling and, and trying to get it back. So, um, yeah, 20 players on our side that had less than four tackles, and that that's seen something on this pod that we've been pretty vocal about saying, you know, the, the aim probably from a personal perspective and a team perspective should be, you know, one tackle per quarter, regardless of where you're playing or who you are. That should be at least the aim. It's not always going to happen, but, but it should be. And um, 20 players couldn't do that on the weekend. And then Tom Akins from them had 12 tackles alone for himself from Geelong. And that is equal to what 10 Essendon players combined had. So that's nearly half a side. Uh, and Tom Akins managed to do what half our side done uh, just on his own in terms of tackle pressure. Um, noteworthy tacklers for us was Parrish with nine, Merritt with five, and then Perkins with four. Moving on to the ugly. <laughs> so you know, that was just bad. Just wait for this. We talked about a little bit earlier. Beaten again by the Cats, smashed early. It's the third time in a row we've been done 
early by a six, seven goal margin in the first quarter. You know, are they not switched on? Is it a mental thing that they're now afraid of Geelong? They know they're going to, you know, they're going to come out strong against us and we just can't deal with it. Well, what is it? I'm not sure, but it's, it's a big concern. You know, throughout this year, especially early, we had some slow starts and we managed to rectify that. I mean, I think we talked maybe last week about how we've almost finished that and now we're worried about slow starts after the break in terms of the third quarter. But it seems to be against Geelong, right? We're just, just not switched on. We just don't don't come to play. And, you know, it's it's killing any hope of us, you know, putting in a good performance before we even start. Yeah, then uh, you mentioned Hawkins last time. So Hawkins and Cameron again this time. 12 shots on goal between both of them. Hawkins had 16 disposals, took eight marks and kicked five goals, three. He's almost 35 years old. He's one month off being 35 years old, just for some context. And um, Cameron, he had 17 disposals, four marks, kicked one goal, three. Um, and he was injured three times during the match and coming off a two-week-long concussion break as well, where he had a major concussion injury. So this would have been a good chance to get on top of them. They're great players. Don't get me wrong. It, it, you know, they're going to take some stopping, but if we want to go to that next level, we need to work out ways. If we don't have, you know, the big monsters to play in these guys, we need to work out ways as a team to, to stop them because we can't progress forward unless we stop these guys. And, you know, we just mentioned that Hawkins is nearly 35 years old and, and credit to him for doing what he's doing at that age. And it's not, um, it's not to be disrespectful to, to, to Tom Hawkins, but what it's highlighting, I guess, is that, He's going to retire, but there's someone else to take that spot, and we, we're going to have to keep dealing with these players. So we need to find a way to get past it. And I think the point is, be he's not doing that every week, you know, and he's not doing it to too many other sides. But he's done it to us twice, you know. And probably last year he did it again, right? And Cameron, you know, same thing. Like at at some point in time, it's not not the defenders. You could play, you know, the best defenders of all time on them. You could. It's not the problem. The problem is the ball, and that's one of the things you, you wouldn't have seen. How the ball gets delivered to the Geelong forwards and the lack of pressure and the pure, you know, out on the tit uh, that it was, is just unstoppable. And it's, that's not on the defenders. That's on the midfielders. That's on the coaches to create a game plan in the middle, a structure to stop that from happening. Now, it's going to happen once or twice because, you know, you're going to get beat, but not – repeatedly in the same game across multiple games, the same players, the same opposition. Here's another great stat for you, Mark. Geelong in the first quarter kicked five goals, seven goals, 547, right? We, at the end of the game, kicked seven goals, 345. They outscored our entire score in the first quarter. And that's kind of the reason why we highlighted all those first quarter stats. Because the game was done, right? by quarter time. It wasn't even done by quarter time. It was done by about 10 minutes in. <laughs> uh, the next one here is one that we take pretty personally. We're, we're big on the milestone games and we've let down, you know, a club champion and the current captain in Zach Merritt down on his 200th game. It's not like it's his 50th game or some insignificant milestone. It's um, 200 games. He's absolutely given his all for this club and I would have hoped that we would have shown a bit of better effort and some fight for him. Um, than what we did on the weekend. So that's disappointing for Merritt. The the club has a, a pretty bad history in recent times of failing on milestone games. We did in Heppel's 200th as well. And 
only this year we've sort of turned the tide a little bit because we've been a bit more competitive. But we don't seem to to make anything of milestone games. And and yeah, I know that they're just something that comes up and you know they they fall on the weeks that they do. But it would be nice for that to be some extra motivation. But it doesn't it doesn't seem to factor at, at all at the SM Footy Club anymore. And finally, disposal efficiency. Uh, 10 players below 60%. Jake Stringer, 37%. He had three effective disposals for the game. That's not sustainable to have that many players going below 60 and for one of your senior players to only have three effective touches. Yeah, it's not great. We'll go to the Heath Hockey medal votes quickly. I'll roll through mine. Uh, I went with Heppel, Hobbs, Parrish, PZT and Nick Bryan. I went with Heppel, Bryan, Parrish, Hobbs, BZT. Let's take a break, Brendan, and we'll come back uh, to talk some BFL. Better news in the VFL this week, Brendan. It was Essendon, 9 goals, 10-64 to Geelong, 7 goals, 12-54. So, 10-point win in, in the VFL, which is good. Two on the trot and um, with a with a break in between. But uh, considering the, the year that they've had and the, uh, I guess, the, the slog that it's been, um, yeah, great great result for them. Good to see uh, some of the boys up and about. Yeah, the, the last two games have been against top four sides. I think Gold Coast were on top of the ladder in the VFL, I think. Cats are in the top four, and we beat, beat them on the home ground. You know, had a, had a good win. It was professional, and lots of young guys playing together and playing well. And you know, it's kind of it's almost what we want to see from the from the senior side. There, so hopefully, you know, a lot of these guys who are playing together at VFL level can hopefully progress to play together at AFL level. And then we often talk about age and experience, but often that is about playing together. Knowing what each other does, where they move, if they're going to kick it this way, that means you've got to go that way, and that sort of thing. So hopefully, in, you know, a projected two to three years when we're hopefully, uh, you know, consistent top four side, the the lessons that we learn now will be stuff that we can implement in the future. So we had thirteen players playing the weekend. We'll start with the first one, number five, Elijah Sardis. 31 disposals, six marks, 11 clearances and two tackles. Played primarily as an inside midfielder. So obviously started in his way back, was on the wing and then was at, at half back for a little bit. But now he's, he's in the guts and is showing why he's a top five pick. Has that first five steps, creates separation and burst. Really, really exciting to see. Got to fix up some foot skills, but it's only young. He's running quite quick, but... Yeah, um, I'm excited to see him get a senior debut relatively soon. Definitely. And number 13, Nick Cox, he had the 12 disposals, four marks and kicked a goal. Um, he was playing a defensive wing role is what I understand. I didn't see the game, uh, to be honest, but he only played half and then he was rested. And presumably that is to keep him fresh enough to be selected off a, a five or six day break there into the Friday night game that we've got this week in the seniors. So sounds like he's, he's in the frame for selection and that's why... Um, they pulled him off at halftime. Yeah, Lewis Hayes, uh, 15 touches, 10 marks, two tackles. Uh, the back line, you know, we'll, we'll read out a number of these things. Lots of marks from our uh, our key defenders there. The next guy is Kane Baldwin, so moving on him. 26 disposals, 12 marks, one tackle. Uh, 
Hayes is developing nicely. He's only 18, 19. He's in his first years playing against men. You know, he's still quite skinny there, but he's he's showing something about him that he could be a long-term player for us. And obviously, Baldwin, I think we're all in a grand seat. I think he's starting to get into the Nick Bryan category where he's too good for VFL and he's got to start, we're going to start seeing what he's getting at AFL level because, you know, there's a player there and let's, you know, take advantage of it. Really excited about Hayes and he's gone about his business quietly and managed to string together, I think, all or at least most games this year, which is, um, touch wood, is something that we haven't really had in some of our young developing players. So it's, it's been really good to, to watch his progression. Alistair Lord, number 28, he kicked the sealer at the end of the game. Um, your boy, 18 disposals, six marks, that goal, and a couple of tackles as well. So pretty pretty well-rounded game there uh, by Alistair, which is which is great for him. Move on to number 33, Owen Davey. He had 13 disposals, one mark, kicked a goal and had five tackles. And Rhett Montgomery was another one of those defenders who was in really good form that you mentioned. So 25 disposals, took 17 marks and had a tackle. He's just been, sadly, a victim of uh, not enough positions to be filled. Um, too, many, too many players playing well in those positions at AFL level, I should say, and um, not enough opportunities. So Rhett Montgomery's had a really solid year in the VFL and continued that on the weekend. I really like Montgomery. I think he, he has something there. I think he's only 22, maybe coming on to 23. There's definitely a potential player there. But as you mentioned, we've just got so much depth in that position there with Redmond, Ridley, Hine, Massimo, you know, McGrath, Kelly, Levert. You know, there's just so many players that can play that role. So it's been a really astute pickup by the Doro, Rob First tonight and the, and the um, recruiting team because he, he can play and there's something there. He's just got to keep banging down the door and keep putting in big performances. There was a couple of weeks there. He was emergency there. And, like, when there's questions over Ridley and Redmond with their injury and sickness in the past couple of weeks, he's been the carryover emergency, so he hasn't had to play. So it's kind of like – it's funny. Carryover emergency means you're close, but you don't get the opportunity to, to perform. So it almost, it's, it's a really tough position to be in. So good to see him go back and uh, have a big performance. Paddy Voss, 10 disposals, 7 marks, 1 goal and 5 tackles. Always a presence, um, you know, hasn't hit the scoreboard as much in probably in the past six or seven weeks, but that's probably been through a change of role. Obviously, start of the year was playing closer to goal, and they've asked him to move more to a centre-half forward position, kind of get up the ground, learn a few more tricks. Uh, but still, it's good to see him just competing, you know. I think with Vossi, it's not about the touches or your disposals or goals. It's just about his presence, you know, Bringing the ball to ground, standing up in the contest, protecting the little fellas. You know, often you want a, want a big bloke to come in and throw their weight around, and that lifts everybody. And he, all those little intangible things, I think, is what makes Patrick Voss a really, you know, exciting player that fans, you can't even see how he can be a cult figure that fans get behind. He has those, those special things that not all players do. So, yeah, hopefully for him, he can get a debut soon. Move on to Tex Wanganine. He had the 11 disposals, three behinds, one mark and four tackles. Um, three behinds, you, know, you kick three goals, all of a sudden you've had a, had a really good game. He strikes me as someone who's running himself into a bit of form and I feel like he's potentially on the verge of going up a, a, a cog and, and really, um, I guess, announcing himself as a, as a player, but just, just needs that little bit extra, doesn't he, and, and that consistency to, to be able to claim that. 
Um, but nonetheless, he, he seems to be getting in the right spots and, and giving himself the opportunity. So I look forward to watching him go again on the weekend. Kean McBride, 14 disposals, 12 marks and three tackles. That's that's a really solid game from Kean and um, probably one of his better games there. Uh, 12 marks is, is huge considering that everyone else down there was marking it as well. So he, he joined in on that party, which is good. Uh, Massimo D'Ambrosio, 26 disposals, 15 marks and a tackle. Um, he's uh, up there in that sort of... Uh, as one of the best on the weekend, which is good to see and pushing his claim um, for, you know, to, to come into the senior side again, he's played a few games this year and um, he would no doubt be disappointed that he probably cemented himself a little bit better last year off only half a year. And it's just been hard to get in the side this year. And then Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, 14 disposals, two marks, two behinds and five tackles. And then Anthony Makara with the seven disposals, one mark, one goal, one behind and five tackles. Been pleased with Makara's uh, progression as well. I think he's been really well managed um, this year. There's been a couple of games where he's just been rested and, and managed to give him a break and to refresh. Um, and he seems to be settling in a, a lot better and um, I guess finding his way on the field. I know that sort of sounds a bit weird to describe it that way, but I think it was a big step up for him from underage football into senior footy and not only with the fitness, but just, you know, the, the game styles and things like that. I think he probably played a lot more instinctively and, and was able to use that to his advantage through juniors. And um, now he's probably starting to learn that balance, which is really good between instinct and, and uh, I guess structural things as well. So he seems to be coming along nicely. Yep. So we're 16th, having had the four wins and 10 losses. So, you know, it shows you how hard it was going on early. The last two weeks have been wins, so that's got us, you know, half half our wins for the year. So we're at Williamstown this week on Friday night, uh, 7.05 p.m., so under lights on the water there. So, um, yeah, interesting time slot considering the AFL side plays Friday night as well, so you can't get along and do the double. But um, if it's cold and windy right on the water there at Point jelly brand. It's going to be, um, yeah, I don't know if you'd want to go and watch that thing because I've been to a couple of uh, Williamstown VFL games and it's, when I say it's right on the water, it's right on the water. It's about 10 metres from the water's edge. It's And it gets brisk on the best of days. So at night, on a Friday night in the middle of uh, winter, yeah, uh, interesting time slot there by the VFL. Uh, Move on to the VFLW. Uh, unfortunately for the girls, they had a loss. Uh, three, uh, three, four, twenty-two Collingwood to Essendon's two six eighteen. Um, the good news is because we had the win earlier in the week, we progressed to the prelim final. So Collingwood go straight to the grand final, and because we lost this game, we play the winner of the uh, the other final, which was Port Melbourne. So we play Port Melbourne on Sunday at two p.m. at ETU Stadium, which is Port Melbourne Oval. Uh, and I think that'll be a really exciting game to watch there, Mark. Hopefully we can – well, the girls have done well enough to get ourselves into another prelim, right, which is more than you, know, you could say of the other sides that have pulled on the sash. So if they can get themselves into another grand final, considering all the plays that are, you know, that changed from last year's side to this year's, it's quite dramatic when you look at the names on the paper. So, yeah, they've done very well. I think they'll be lining up against their old um... – their old full forward friend in uh, Federica Fru as well. I'm pretty sure she's playing at Port Melbourne and going right. So, um, yeah, huge game. And as you said, enormous effort to get this far. And um, if they can go a little bit further, it'd be, be a huge story and um, and one that is somewhat unexpected, I guess, as you said, with all with all the uh, 
exits that had to happen with the AFLW side. So mentioning AFLW there, um, fixture was announced this week. Ten games for the home and away season. Round one will be against the Hawks at 7 p.m. Um, at Kinetic Stadium, which is in Frankston, on the 2nd of September um, this year. There's four games at Windy Hill as well. So back to back to the, the homeland there at Windy Hill, which is good to see. Round two, we play the Saints. Round four, we play Freo. Round eight, we play West Coast. And round nine, we play Carlton. So they're the four games where you can get down to Windy Hill and um, bring back the, the years of old and, and stand in the, the Allen T herd stand and, and, uh, and, and the like and get around the girls. We are obviously like the AFLW girls and, you know, We've been to a couple of AFLW games and it's been great there. But I tell you what, that, uh, that round nine game versus Carlton at Windy Hill, oh, I'd love a smashing. <laughs> Carlton, beating Carlton at Windy Hill, it's always good, no matter what level it is. If you're an Essendon side, that's just a simply must-win game. Yeah, that's, um, I fully agree with you. And then back to the VFLW, it'd be good if they can get over Port Melbourne because – Having a shot against Collingwood in the grand final there in the VFLW, we hate Collingwood, so it'd be uh, be good to get him on the last day there. Let's take another break, our last break, and come back to preview the game against the Bulldogs this Friday. So we're versing the Bulldogs this Friday night, Marvel Stadium. Brilliant. I think our first Friday night game for the year, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly, and uh, it should be should be a ripper on paper. That uh, depends on what Essendon side turns up, I guess. So, um, really good opportunity, home game, Phil Marvel, get a big crowd, get momentum on our side. The Bulldogs don't really have many supporters as it is anyway, so they they're not going to take up any seats. So we should be able to make it noisy in there and um, and try and swing some momentum our way um, on you know what's our home deck. So let's go into the injuries. I've got some bones to pick through the injury section as well. So let's let's get to that. We've got get Jaden Davy with the knee, obviously. We know that that's that's one there. Sam Draper, hip to be confirmed. This is not a hip injury. The club just needs to come out and just admit that it's OP. It sounds like it's OP. There's been things leaked through his uh people that he does podcasts with and stuff like that. And um We've seen a lot as well in before he started missing games. He was getting a lot of work done on the groins on the boundary every time he came off. And I think, you know, there's there's a lot of mystery around this injury. And I, I think to be respectful to to the fans and the members, and I know that might be a little bit um I don't know, wrong of me to say because, you know, what what do they owe us to tell us and, and not keep some cards up their sleeve? But I think if he's got OP, just come out and say it. Like it's not the first time a player's had that and it, and it's managing that injury. Look, we neither of us are doctors, so, nor are we physiotherapists, so we could be wrong. But like, I haven't heard what comments have come out on on his podcast that he does. I think it's that above two meters or whatever it is, some stupid pun. But, uh, but we noticed this about eight weeks ago. We were we were almost on top of it before they the club was. We kept noticing in the third quarter he'd come off and he'd get worked on the inside of his leg, where you, if you've got a sore groin, that's where you get worked. And you might be a, a thigh or an adductor or whatever muscle, but you don't – look, I said, we're no doctor, but I'm pretty sure you don't – if you've got a sore hip, they don't rub the inside of your leg. <laughs> right? That's not where the hip is. I, I know that much. Right? So, look, just 
why, why, why play the games? This is why I think you know, it must be here because why would you not just come out and say it's something else? That doesn't make sense why you would say it's some other injury, right? But yeah, it's this, it's disappointing. Just, just get him wrong. And like you talked about, in not being, you know, honest and truthful and whatever. And like players have setbacks, but how many times this year has a bloke been one week away, and then all of a sudden he's two weeks? And then he's two weeks for about three weeks, and then he's back to one week, and then all of a sudden he's back. Like I thought, I thought that that all those shenanigans were in the the past. We didn't have to worry about it anymore, right? And that the first half of the year, that's what it seemed like. We're, we're a professional club. We're coming out. We're going to get blokes right. Then we're going to work them through the VFL. And now we're back to the old ducks and drakes. And you know, my pet hate, Mark, and you know this more than anyone is when they muck around with the naming of the side on a Thursday night and they got blokes that have never played in any position, names there. And I can tell you, if that's starting to creep back in a little bit as well. And if that happens, if I see some bloke named centre-half forward that plays in the back pocket, right, even though it means nothing in modern football, right, I'm going to lose me nut. <laughs> it sounds like you're going to write a letter. <laughs> a very angrily worded email. Yeah. Um, so you just mentioned about players that are, you know, uh, a week away, and then all of a sudden next week they're two weeks away and they're three. It sort of goes backwards. Those players this week is uh, Will Setterfield and also James Stewart. So both were listed, I think, as a week away last week, and they should have been in their final weeks now and ready for VFL, I assume, this week. Um, but now, uh, as of today, they're listed as two weeks away uh, on, on the injury list. And, and we understand setbacks and things happen, but like all the news was positive um, in the injury update. It said that they've rejoined, rejoined full training and all that sort of stuff. So it sounds like everything's still on track. So does that mean that we were lied to two, three weeks ago? Like I, I know it's not an exact science getting these, you know, these weeks down pat and everything, but um, yeah, it just feels like it jumps around a lot and, you know, we're looking forward to seeing someone like Will Setterfield come back into the side. And James Stewart, we've mentioned a number of times on this podcast that we just we just want to see some photos or some video or something of him to make sure he's okay. And then we're looking forward to watching him come back in the VFL. And then all of a sudden, he's still two weeks away. And then it's another two weeks. And we just, just want to get some, I guess, a bit more honesty and, and openness around some of these updates. And it's the conflicting information too, because... The, the clubs come out today and normally they, you know, do it a bit later in the week with the injury thing from the actual club itself. But the AFL does the injury list for all 18 clubs on a Tuesday, right? And they've got blokes at one week and the club's got ones at two weeks. And the AFL one, it seems to get updated every week and it progressively moves in a logical fashion. And sometimes you have one or two players that have been an upset in it it holds or it goes back one week. But there seems to be a lot more variance in the stuff that's coming out from the club uh, than what it is from the AFL. Now, like I said, we're no doctors. Who are we to say what the club's doing? They hold hold infinitely more information than us and they know the players' bodies better than we do. But I don't know why they don't come out and, you know, even have a video. Like, I know... Times are different. But I used to love watching the Doc Reed videos. When Doc Reed had come out, he'd be in his office, he'd talk about the player's injury, he'd even take the time to, you know, speak to the player, have them there, or have a showing of what part of the foot was actually the issue was and stuff like that. Now, 
you're never going to get someone who's going to be able to replace Doc Reed. He's is irreplaceable, right? But you know, we've gone from having updates last year about how many kilometres a player runs and the performance update that no one cares about because we're not we're not, it's not an athletic event. We're not you know trying to get into the Commonwealth Games. We're playing a game of football, so I don't care how many k's you run. Right? I want to see how you play the game. So this year we get none of that. Right, we've got we bring in staff that are dedicated to this thing, and then we don't hear from them. Like, how hard is it to put out a two-minute video every week, talking through the injuries, explaining it, giving a bit more depth? It's not hard. Like, this is, this is easy content. The media department should look. The media department gets smashed, right, from all the other stuff. This is something easy that they can do. It takes two minutes, right? The work experience. One of those kids that they're flogging the. The Essendon Academy can do this stuff, right? And it's just it's just frustrating as a supporter. So in terms of relevant injury news, I know we've sort of uh, vented for a little bit there, but relevant injury news for this week is probably Jaden Laverty as a test with his ankle. Bit of a nasty injury there. I saw the replay. It was um, Gary Rowan, ironically, diving across, across his legs. And I know it's just a smother attempt, but, yeah, ironic because that's how – his leg ended up broken and uh, and that's now paid free kicks. I'm not sure whether that was on the night or not, but anyway, um, it's just a bit of an incident. And um, uh, Kane Baldwin obviously got through the BFL with with his ankle, so he, sh- he should be fine as well. Dylan Shield with his foot, that sounds like it's just a, a lingering issue. So I wouldn't be surprised if we probably don't see Dylan again by the sound of it. He's just never going to get back to 100% from kind of the language that they were using. Um, so... Let's move on from Essendon injuries list onto the Western Bulldogs. So I guess in terms of relevant injuries here, um, Hayden Crozier, good play for them. Hamstring, he won't be playing. He's he's still sort of a month plus away. Sam Darcy, uh, good young player with a quad injury. Um, his dad's no good, but he, he goes all right. But um, three to five weeks away, so he will not be playing. Um, Jason Johannesson with a hamstring um, we've we've got a typo here in the run sheet that lists him as 102 weeks away, which is something that Essendon would post. I think that's that's a, obviously an error. I mean, that might have been the last time he actually played a good game of football. That would be about the 2016 grand final. We robbed Tom Boyd of a Norm Smith medal, but um, let's, let's, let's move on. Liam Jones, three to five weeks with an arm. Uh, Bailey Smith is a test. Uh, obviously had illness. I suspect he'll he'll come in and classic Essendon, a bloke that's been struggling, will come in and absolutely smash us. So <laughs> get on whatever type of betting agency, uh, bet responsibly because, yeah, he's sure, nothing shorter than a three-vote game out of Bailey Smith. Let's move on. Let, let's try and pick up this end of the podcast here and, and finish strongly because I feel like this we're... Is what uh... <laughs> that, that, this is what happens when you, you have a bad loss you get a little bit dirty and then the natural inclinations of both of us have started to seep in. These podcasts after a heavy loss and a disappointing loss are usually some form of therapy for us, but I feel like tonight's been, been the opposite and it's it's raised some demons and some some, uh, some scar tissues being torn here. Um, so the Bulldogs, what their best 22 looks like, uh, according to us, is the back six, Taylor Jaray, uh, Ryan Gardner, Lathan Vandermeer, Bailey Dale, Alex Keith, and Caleb Daniel. So pretty competent backline there. Um, some some good experienced players. Um, some things that we can maybe expose as well. But um, yeah, so a, a pretty solid back six that they've got there. Although their back six has not been something that they've been 
great at, I guess, historically. They've always kind of lacked that big key monster defender. Um, so maybe that's going to be an opportunity, I guess, that we'll speak about later with the likes of uh, Peter Wright and uh, big bad Sammy Wiedemann. Yeah, Bailey Dale and uh, Caleb Daniel, obviously two very good players, uh, very offensive players. So maybe that's something we'll have to worry about there. Your natural inclination is someone like a Caleb Dunn, you want to shut him down. So, uh, but there's obviously the opportunity to, to play through them and try and hit the scoreboard going the other way. So that's something for the coaches to consider. So into the midfield, we've got Trelaw and Bailey Williams on the wings, Libba in the guts, and then English, Bontempelli and McRae. So that's a pretty pretty powerful midfield there. Um, all guys that play kind of their best positions too. So it's... um. Yeah, it's a surprise to see with the Bulldogs not doing much better than what they are with that midfield there because, you know, you'd kill for a couple of those players, let alone all of them. Forward line is pretty stacked as well. Jamara Ugelhagen, Aaron Norton, Bailey Smith, Arthur Jones, Rory Lobb and Cody Waitman. Some players in there that have given us some trouble um, over the years and some players that are that are very capable. You've got Ugelhagen uh, having his his best best year this year, obviously three years, I think it is now. Uh, Aaron Norton is just a marking machine, uh, generates plenty of shots on goal. Rory Lobb's given us trouble over the years when he was at, at Freo as well, so he might not have been in the best form this year, but he's always seemed to play well against us. Um, Bailey Smith, as you said, he's due for a good game. Cody Waitman giving us trouble and uh, and knows how to draw a free kick. Obviously, he's pretty... Pretty hated by some Essendon supporters. And then Arthur Jones, um, only a young player, but uh, he, he offers a bit of spark as well. I really like Arthur Jones. Just, you know, I like watching him play. I think he's a, he's a good good little player, has a lot of spark. And, you know, I know there was some talk his draft year that we were pretty keen on him and the Bulldogs just got in ahead of us there. So we kept a close eye on him. But, yeah, um, it's a pretty, pretty damaging play, uh, forward line there, even if Lobb doesn't doesn't play there in as the second ruck with Hugo Hagen and Norton. It's just, it's just nicely balanced, you know? So yeah, it's going to be a tough matchup. Then on the, on the bench and the sub, we've got Poulter, West, Richard, Scott, and we've named Garcia. It could be the other way around. I think Richards is probably playing his best year. West is going okay. Poulter's just come in recently. And obviously Anthony Scott's a pretty, um pretty consistent player for the Bulldogs there. So Moving on to the key matchups, so we'll go with <clears throat> Trelaw. We've gone with McGrath just because I think he'll fight forward at times. Andy can pick him up. He can kind of play in the midfield wing there. It's kind of interesting to see if they look to keep McGrath closer to goal like we've done all year, but, you know... Dogs have got so many options, they're going to rotate mid-wing forward. So it'll just be interesting to see who picks up that type of player. Marcus Bontepelli is next on our list. And we've listed Archie Perkins as the matchup. I guess this would be great experience for him and uh, potentially, you know, opportunity for a big breakout game. Um, the Bont's arguably the best player in the competition and he is... Um, Hard to stop. So we're going to need someone. You know, Perkins is pretty good overhead. He would need to be a bit stronger defensively, uh, I think, some of his tackling efforts and running defensively and stuff. So it might be a good way to, to force those things into his game and develop in uh, a bit more quickly than they might have. So, uh, yeah, we'll watch that one with interest. Bailey Smith, Mason Redman, I guess, kind of if Smith plays forward, 
that's the natural matchup. We're sure they weren't afraid to throw Redmond into the middle last week. Maybe that's something when Smith goes in there, he can go in there with him. We've talked in the past, Mark, about Mason Redmond potentially becoming a midfielder. We raised, you know, Jordan Dawson at Adelaide, captain there. He's a similar type of player, and that's the progression that he's kind of moved on to. So being to see if the red dog gets in the guts, you know, he's got a bit of aggression and passion. You know, maybe he can um, throw his weight around. Not a, not a horrible matchup, I don't think. Yeah, Rory Bob, we mentioned, um, has troubled us in the past, and we've got Jaden Laverde here. If he's fit, um, he's the sort of the um, obvious sort of strong one-on-one, uh, the bull, uh, I guess, to kind of go with him head-to-head. So uh, hopefully Laverde's uh, ankle's going okay and he can play this week. Then we've got two mids in, in Libba and Jack McRae. I guess Libba and Parrish make sense too, under the nose of the Ruckman clearance machines. I think they were one and two in clearances for several years there. So it makes sense to run those two head-to-head. And then Jack McRae, you know, I think, if we're going to start to see Nick Martin push into the middle a little bit, I think that's a good matchup. He can also go with McRae on the outside. Uh, Martin, you know, probably a bit more skilled, but McRae finds a bit more of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Aaron Norton, we mentioned, is pretty dangerous. Jordan Ridley has done some good jobs on him in the past, um, despite how good he is. So I think it's uh, natural to send Ridley to him again, which is, Maybe a bit unusual. We we usually use Ridley, I guess, in more of an intercepting role, and that might limit his ability to do that. It's uh, I think you'd rather you'd rather stop the first problem than than starting to think before you think about the second one. So uh, yeah, Norton with Ridley. Uh, two two small players at either end. So Caleb Dane we mentioned up forward, and then I say at back sorry, and Cody Waitman up forward. So Waitman, you think Kelly natural. Match up there, best small defender. Kelly Strong overhead too, and that's where Waitman is pretty good, overhead marking. And Caleb Daniel, I think Matt Guelphie's a good shutdown. you really got to worry about Daniel setting the dogs up where he's kicking. He's a precise kick. He's very smart, gets into space. So if we have a defensive forward to maybe pressure those kicks, and then Guelph's pretty good at getting on the other end of it and kicking a goal or two. So that might be something for the coaches to consider. Yeah, and uh, Jamara Uwehagen, we mentioned BZT is is probably the one there. We've already mentioned Laverde and Ridley, so that leaves BZT for for Uwehagen. He'll be athletically challenged, but he's probably our best bet uh, athletically to go with him as well. And then we round out with Tim English in the ruck. He's having a really good year. And um, Nick Bryan, I think we need to back him in. He, he plays a pretty similar style of game uh, to Tim English. And, you know, that could be watching Tim English run around and, and be pretty good this year, that could be Nick Bryan in the next two years if we give him the opportunities. So we need to back him in, give him the opportunities, team him up with Phillips, be a nice contrast. We've spoken about that ruck contrast that we wanted to get going with um, Nick Bryan and Sam Draper. Draper obviously unavailable at the moment um, with a hip injury. And uh, we, I guess you could see that similar contrast with Nick Bryan and with uh, Eddie Phillips as well. Yep, so ins and outs. Phillip comes in, Wiedemann goes out, I think anybody, no one's going to have too many arguments with that. Just just um, on just on Wiedemann, um, yeah, as you said, no one's probably too many arguments in terms of fan base and stuff. And it's not a dig at him. I think it's, um, it'll do his confidence and good to go and get some form as well. So it's not, it's not a bad thing. Go back, play some VFL footy. VFL footy, the VFL team is up and about at the moment. There's some good connection going on there. 
um, he'd be able to slip straight into that, get some confidence, and then get back into the AFL side. So, yeah, wait a minute out to go and do that while Phillips comes back in to help in the ruck. That's it. Uh, if Laverty with his ankle, if he's not fit, I guess Baldwin is an option to come in there. It'll be interesting to see if Laverty doesn't play, do they actually bring in a taller player to replace him or do they go more of a mid-size? We spoke about Wiedemann going back last week and he's done that, I think, the week before there for a little bit there. So potentially if they want to keep Wiedemann in the side, that's an option to play him as a defender, which is not the worst you know, thing. I don't think he's going to go any any worse as a backman than what he's currently going up forward. Um, and then it's about getting younger players into the side. I think we mentioned earlier in the VFL, Cox was was pulled out half through the game. Is that an indication he's going to come in? If he does come in, who's he come in for? You know, defensive wingman role, Mark, you mentioned. The guy that plays that role currently is Sam Durham. He's he's almost the last bloke I'd drop at the moment. Um, what he gives to us and how hard he goes. So, I don't know. That's the role he'll play. You know, same with Massimo. He's, he's kicking. It's just so something that I think we miss. we got a lot of run and dash and stuff. We need someone who's going to help set us up by foot. So I'd look to get those two guys in and the guys that unfortunately fall out are Snelling and Cox. Oh, sorry, Snelling for Cox and Hine for Massimo. Snelling and Cox, you could, couldn't get two, two more different players, but unfortunately that's just kind of, you know, you got to, someone's got to come out for them to go in and then Coxie on that kind of, we need another marking forward. You know, he, maybe Coxie can play that role. Yeah, and I think... We would like to see some changes, I guess, this week after a loss like that. Yeah, you need it. You do need it back in your team as well. One bad loss doesn't doesn't change everything. But um, the last thing I want to see is oh, I don't want to see like a you know um, a player like uh, John Minzy or something dropped. Like, I don't want to see some low hanging fruit, easy to get young player come out of the side and they won't give too much of a fight. Um, you know, that's not what we want to want to see. It's more about the players coming in and then I guess yeah, taking out a player um, as as the ones that we've just listed there that that are maybe more structurally it's going to work in our favour. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do and we'll have the luxury of finding out a little bit earlier this week because we play on the on the Friday night. So. That'll be good. Um, probably not a lot more to add, Brendan. Uh, it's been uh, one of our less professional pods, given given the uh, feeling that, we, that we've had after that loss. But um, I'm sure that we'll get back up and we'll be excited for Friday night. And hopefully it's a huge game. We're, we're only just hanging in the eight. We've kind of blown a few opportunities lately to to put a bit of a gap between us and others. There's been some really big results that, that would have worked in our favour heavily, like Gold Coast beating the, beating St Kilda and things like that. Um, we haven't been able to take advantage of that because we haven't been able to get our own backyard in order and get the wins. So um, huge opportunity to beat a side that is, you know, fighting for our position. We're only we're eighth currently and we're only in that position by percentage. So we're 101.2. And the Giants, uh, ninth, 99.4. So, so it's small margins in it. So we've dropped from fifth to eighth. That's how bad the uh, the Cats' loss was. But, again, the results kind of went our way. So it was could have been much worse if it didn't. But if we lose this week again by a, you know, a decent margin to the Bulldogs and, you know, if all the other games go as expected, we'll probably be 12th. So in the space of two weeks, we've gone from 5th to 12th, right? And 
that just shows you how tight the competition is. It's one game between 13th and 5th. <laughs> so it's tight. So these wins are important. And, you know, yes, the percentage loss was like last week was no good and that might ultimately hurt us. But really, if you're worrying about percentage, you've got bigger issues. You want to you get in there based upon the wins. If you, if you win enough games, you don't got to worry about percentage. Right? So winning games against sides who are around us, so the Bulldogs, GWS, we've got, you know, they've got a game against Sydney, who will know easy beats coming up, you know. That's why the loss to Geelong and the loss to Fremantle, who were around us at the time, hurt. And you want to, if you're going to make it, you want to carry some momentum in. At, at the moment, to be honest, I'm not confident that we'll make it. But if, if we do make it, you want to carry momentum in. You don't want to just sneak in and then just be it's making up. Ten again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Be making up the numbers and end up, you know, mentally damaging the whole club and its supporter base again by just getting done in an elimination final. So um, really good opportunity for us to, I guess, start that process and to have a big, what is it, like six weeks or something heading into the, the, the uh, end of the year now. That's it. So if if the finals were next week, we'd be into the eighth and we'd play the fifth side, which was Geelong. So do you have? Do you think we're going to beat the Cats after the last three times we've played them? Uh, you want to go in with some momentum, you know? Like Laura Badger says, the more and more wins they have, the, uh, the closer you are to having a loss. But look at the Tigers. Our record against the Tigers, it's, it's what? 14 years to get a win. So it's not necessarily going to happen. And it's not like we're, we're close to the Cats and they're just beeping us over the line. They're obliterating us. So, yeah. It all starts this week again with the Bulldogs. So let's get it done and uh, be a nice way to enjoy the weekend too. Get it out of the way on Friday and then be able to enjoy the weekend knowing that we've got up and got the four points and moved on. So go the Dons. Go Bombers. Whoosh, <whistles> whoosh.